tasty and traditional like a vegan sausage roll. It's the FA Cup third round with top sides that look the same but are filled with unexpected ingredients and plenty of upsets. We round up all the weekend's drama. Shocks and surprises from Newport to Oldham. Red faces for some, friction burn faces for others. Plus Chelsea, as they wave goodbye to Cesc like the parents of a newborn, we salute the Fab One. Or are we just saying, hurry up and take the picture? And we look forward to the Blues League Cup semi-final with Spurs. It's the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, listener. Thanks so much for joining us for this roundup of the FA Cup third round and more. Here for your oral pleasure, we have Michael Cox. Hi, James. Hi, Michael. Daniel Storey, who was at Woking this weekend. I was. Good morning. We'll get back to that match later mm-hmm. on. Woking Watford, of course. And also here, although he might be called out literally any second because of a happy event. It's Jack Lang. Jack, this is tremendous news. Hi, James. Yes, due to have a baby any day now. <laughs> All right, lovely. Well, well, thanks for being with us. FA Cup third round then. It began Friday evening with Spurs winning 7-0 at Tranmere. It'll finish this Monday evening, Liverpool uh, at Molyneux taking on Wolves. In the meantime, lots has happened. Uh, the headlines, uh, one non-league side is through, that's Barnet, who beat Sheffield United. There were bona fide upsets elsewhere as Newport, 13th in League Two, did Leicester, 73 places above them. Oldham came from behind at Craven Cottage to win at Fulham, and Gillingham did Cardiff. Five Premier League sides are now out. That's uh, Bournemouth, Fulham, Cardiff, Huddersfield and Leicester, and of course one more will follow this evening. And Premier League teams made an average of just under eight changes to their starting lineups. For the weekend's action, Watford were the most with 11. Curiously, while most teams got stick for changing players, uh, one team got into trouble for putting on one of their big stars, Harry Kane, who everyone was very upset when Pochettino brought him on at at Tranmere, but a lovely explanation. Paul McIntosh says, two questions for me. Is Saturday's action proof that the FA Cup third round has lost all its magic? And secondly, is Sunday's action proof that the magic of the FA Cup third round is alive and well? Jack... I think that's a fair assessment. Saturday, in terms of the TV games at least, was, I thought, fairly drab. The Manchester United-Reading game was a good excuse for an afternoon nap, I would say. And Blackpool-Arsenal, perhaps a touch more interesting. A lot of that due to the circumstances surrounding the game, the you know the Blackpool protests, the, the fans sitting on the bus. I thought that was a nice story. The what, gate, the, what did the fans do on the bus? I missed that. He just sat on the Arsenal team bus before oh. it could leave from the hotel to the stadium. So Arsenal had to quickly arrange. So the a new Blackpool bus. fans got onto the just Arsenal bus. Just a single bus. fan, yes. Oh, just one. Yeah, and just sat there in silent protest. Were okay. you on the bus? You mean in a seat no, or like on top of the on bus? On top of the bus. I missed this. Sorry. You know, of all the types of protest that fans try over the years, I thought that was quite a novel one. That is a novel one. It's funny because you usually celebrate a cup win with an open-top bus parade, so... Yeah, you know, very nice. that Irony. Ed Quoth Raven says, which surprise underdog victory did the panel enjoy most? He proffers Barnet, Newport County, Oldham Athletic or Crystal Palace. <laughs> Crystal Palace. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I see what you've done there, Ed. Um, Michael. Uh, I really like the Newport one against yep. Leicester, partly because it was on television and because it was a kind of unlikely way for them to win because they went ahead... Hanging on for long periods, and he thought as soon as Leicester got the equaliser, you know, they're probably going to push on and score. And then Newport went down the other end and scored. It was a really strange handball by Mark Albrighton. I quite like the fact he just realised what he'd done rather than complaining about the decision. Mm. It was a bizarre 
uh, bizarre incident. But uh, yeah, I thought that was a, a really good performance. They rode their luck. I mean, um, you know, the funny thing about these underdog victories these days is you can kind of compare it with the expected goals figures afterwards. And it was why football produces upsets, because... Leicester created so many more chances. They should have won the game comfortably. And yet that's football. You can have two chances and score two goals, mm. get some blocks in at the other end. But uh, yeah, I thought that was a really good game. All right. Newport, who are 13th currently in League Two, had failed to win their previous five league games. But um, against a pretty weakened Leicester team, all sorts of uh, players left behind. Uh, Christian Fuchs made the journey, of course, to, with hilarious consequences when uh, Newport prepared their team sheet. Leicester did make a lot of changes and, and as you say lots of Premier League teams made around seven or eight changes but Premier League teams have big squads now one of the results of bigger transfer budgets is that managers don't like to be surprised with injury crises so they have these huge squads and the FA Cup obviously is a is a good time to roll them out that's no excuse though just because Leicester make eight changes I think they probably still had I, I can't I'm not sure but I'm going to guess seven or eight internationals in that team they should still be good enough to beat Newport. It doesn't say much for the professionalism of those players that, especially at the start of a transfer window, when players like Rashid Ghazal and Kelechi Inaccio, who have got points to prove and yet were pretty useless against League Two opposition, it's not mm. an excuse making changes at all. Excellent work there from Mickey Flynn, whose who's, mm. uh, impact at the club. I mentioned the recent results haven't been great, but by and large, he, he's, he's totally turned things around there and into the hat they go for the fourth round, Jack. Um, how about... Fulham Oldham. Yeah, there's something nice about it involving a comeback as well. So obviously, you know, a few of these upsets are teams taking a lead and just clinging on for dear life. But the fact that Oldham were able to react to Fulham taking the lead obviously rode their luck a bit more penalty woe for Fulham. So Mitrovic came on just to take the penalty, basically, and managed to miss. Which, I mean, it wasn't a penalty anyway, was it? No, Tom Kearney did a... Uh, yeah, it was a dive. He dived. And and then they sent that to VAR, mm. and then they said, yeah, we think it's a penalty as well, which was surprising. Mm. And meanwhile, Claudio Ranieri brings on Mitrovic after their recent penalty woes to take, a bit like a kind of place kicker in the NFL or something, yep. to take the penalty. And what happens? Sees it saved. <laughs> you imagine a Bubakar camera on the bench may have afforded himself a little smile at that. And then Oldham managed to grab a goal. Callum Lang, very well-named player, mm. completing a hat-trick of famous footballing Langs. Can you name the other two? Adam Lang. Very good. Hungarian star. Yeah, the Swiss right-back Michael Lang. Michael Lang. Yeah. So one more, obviously including myself in this, and we can make a five-a-side team. Brilliant. Okay. Nath- maybe Nathaniel but- Mendes Lang could come in on a technicality while we wait for a proper Lang. All right. So uh, this was a terrific day then for... Uh, the Oldham caretaker manager, Peter Wilde, who, as probably you've seen, was actually due to be with the away fans celebrating, but found himself on the touchline, guiding the team to a famous victory. Yeah, it's the kind of story that almost... It's a cliche almost before it's happened, but it's great. And it is the kind of thing that I think reinvigorates interest in the FA Cup. For those who hadn't seen, he'd bought a ticket. He was due to be on the train down with his mates. I think he still owes his mate for the ticket. Um, And it was a good performance from them. And it's good for Oldham because they're a club who um, always have a large travelling support. You know, 20, 25 years ago, they're in the Premier League. They're a club who have had some kind of uh, relative success in the FA Cup in recent years. They caused Liverpool problems recently. Um, So, yeah, it was just an enjoyable day. And and for them, you know, Fulham away is one of the kind of most enjoyable away days for supporters, I think. So that would be a a great day out for them. Mm. He said he'd never been to Craven Cottage. He wanted to go. He's the academy manager by day. 
uh, and and so was was free this weekend because they didn't have a game. But Oldham scuppered his plans by f- sacking manager Frankie Bunn reportedly by email and and getting him to to take charge. I think this was actually his third game in charge. But still, mm-hmm. wonderful story. Accrington Stanley beat Ipswich one nil. Daniel, you you wrote extensively on some of the world events that have happened since Ipswich last won an FA Cup game. Yeah, I mean, I think the most interesting in football terms is that three different countries have won the World Cup since Ipswich last won in the FA Cup, which is a good effort. 2010, uh, their last FA Cup win. They have drawn games but gone on to lose replays. Um, I mean, that's a shocking record. I think I'm right in saying that Accrington were only 14 places behind Ipswich in the league ladder. And uh, oh, right. speaking to Ipswich fans, they were kind of of the dark, humid opinion that if they won, it would have been an upset because the team is in such wretched form. They've won two, they've beaten two football league teams this season, Ipswich, which is the same as Barnet of the conference. So they're in the football league? Yes, and they've beaten two football league teams this season, which is the same number of Barnet who are in non league. Uh, it's not been good. Not a good time. Uh, Paul Lambert came out after the game, who's their, you know, their new manager, and said it's a, the whole situation's a disgrace. Everything at the club is a disgrace at the moment. Uh, they are going down, and it doesn't sound like there's an easy fix. Mm-hmm. Crikey! Well, to cheer yourself up, you went over to Woking's mm. stadium. Uh, what's what's that it's called? The, it's the Lathwaite's Community Stadium, the artist formerly known as Kingfield. Okay. Uh, yeah, it was a, it was a, a proper cup day. It really, really was. It was the sort of day where um, the home team gets a corner at nil nil, and the whole crowd just rises up as one and does this massive cheer because that's as good as it's going to get. And it was as good as it's going to get. Watford were infinitely better than Woking. They beat them two nil, but it could have been four or five. Watford just took their you know foot off the pedal. Right. One, one interesting thing in the game: it was Adalberto Panaranda's debut for Watford three years after joining the club. Wow. He'd been he'd been kind of part of that Pozzo loan ownership Triangle. system, mm. and then went on loan to Malaga for a season where he got injured, and yeah, made his debut yesterday. What um, was he like? He was good. He he he's dyed his hair white on top, so the home fans and the whole of the home ground was singing. He's got birds on his head, mm. um, which is probably the strangest chant I've heard a whole ground sing as one before. Uh, but yeah, he was all right. Right, that's interesting. Did you see Martin Tyler? He's yeah, he's on the. I saw him before the game, uh, kind of walking around, pl- proud as anything around the ground. And then yeah, he was obviously he sits on the on the dugout now. We were actually some of us were in the overflow section, right at the top of the stand, the one main stand, but it's actually at the end of the ground. So I was nowhere near him. But okay, I've probably mentioned this before, but he, along with uh, Workings Manager Alan Delson, used to be at Kingstonian, my local club, mm. and. Uh, He's surprisingly mouthy towards assistant referees on the touchline, which just in Martin Tyler's voice, hearing certain obscenities at the linesman involving, you know, the position of his flag and stuff, is just really quite surreal because obviously you're there, there's no commentary. And your brain kind of tunes into it as if it's commentary, but it's actually, you know, not... Fit for broadcasting. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that would be that would be really disconcerting. But I feel like I'm painting him in a in a bad light. I mean, I think it's a really interesting story. This guy who's, you know, been maybe the most prominent commentator in English football for the last 25, 30 years, and spends his Saturdays. This is a decent level. This is the National League, but most of his career he's been at the seventh or eighth tier down in Surrey. He's always been a Woking fan as well, so he's worked his way through Surrey from Kingston to Hampton and Richmond and down to Woking, and uh, a great day for him. Brilliant. Do you reckon Tyler drops in and it's live on the bench every game and just really annoys them? Did you know? It would psych up the players, I think, in the dressing room. One other thing on this game, 
that really came through on the TV was how desperate Troy Deeney was to get on the pitch, which was the camera kept cutting to him and he was literally kind of always looking at Javi Gracia's, go on, get me on, get me on. The Woking centre-back Ben Gehring obviously having spoken about a possible grudge match before and kicking him to Rosehead, you know, nice pantomime stuff. And obviously Deeney did score, but the best part of his appearance was when uh, Ken Semmer was down injured, Troy Deeney basically staged an impromptu Q&A with the home fans. They were just shouting questions and he was like, what are you saying? And he would answer and they were all laughing. I thought it was really great. That's brilliant. What was the best question? Could you hear them? You couldn't. And I imagine that the uh, the broadcasters weren't too disappointed that you couldn't hear them <laughs> because I'm sure they weren't all related to the technical aspects of being a striker. I get the it. The thing about uh, the threat to kick him into Rosehead, of course, was... The they don't have a rose head? Yeah, the stand only went up to row V. Right. Didn't T- think that one through, did he? No. T-107 for me, if you're interested. That's my seat. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Were there any questions for Troy about H.G. Wells? Because you know he's from Woking and War of the Worlds is set, well, partly set in Woking. I see. There's, Bits, a, yeah. there's a very famous song about Woking that you probably don't know is about Woking. It's uh, The Jam, and isn't it? Well, he was a Woking lad. It was yeah. the original Town Called Malice. Town Called Malice, Is that yeah. right? Mm. Which is kind of disappointing because Woking is not a particularly malicious town. Mm. The Town Called Malice, you think it's somewhere really dark and dangerous, but Woking has always been quite pleasant as far as I'm aware. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. More FA Cup, listener. It wasn't an upset, but one man was quite upset in Chelsea's 2-0 victory over Forest. I suppose lots of Forest fans are quite upset, but I was specifically returning to Cesc Fabregas, mm-hmm. a topic we will return to later on in the pod. And we'll talk about Forest then as well and Chelsea, shall we? Daniel, nice. OK, uh, other bits of news. Palace edging past Grimsby, which we mentioned at the top. Another goal from Jordan Ayew there. Bournemouth, not so fortunate. They lost 3-1 against Brighton. Man City beat Rotherham 7-0. Spurs, same scoreline for them at Tranmere. Bristol City knocked out Huddersfield. Nine defeats in a row now for Huddersfield. Jason Punchin made his debut there. Huddersfield with just a single shot on target. Portsmouth, who are on top of League One at the moment, they beat the second-place side in the Championship. Norwich, 1-0. Very late, a dramatic winner, that one. Yeah, that was good, and yeah, it was a weird kickoff time and a long journey. So I'm pleased the supporters had something to cheer. That's true. Just to go back to the Crystal Palace game, oh, yeah. very briefly, we got a tweet asking about the refereeing for the the Grims- Grimsby red card, saying, "Do they really think a video referee can judge the feel of a game like this?" Right. You, it was just the, the worst tackle yeah. of the weekend. And like, who cares what the feel of the game was? Oh, that was, was the one on Andros Townsend. Yeah. yeah. It was horrific, yeah. yeah. I mean, the only feel that I really care for is whether Andros Townsend still has feeling in his leg. Right, And he was Nicely quite lucky put. too, I think. It was, a, it was a difficult weekend for VAR, I felt. We've already discussed the, the penalty at Fulham, but even more bizarre was the, um, the player who was stopped in the Burnley-Barnsley game, uh, Vidra who was awarded the spot kick, but while running up to take it, the referee blew his whistle again and did the... It's a TV show. <laughs> Simple. Well, maybe that, maybe that should affect how, how players take penalties. I mean, Pogba shouldn't be doing his 10-second run-up if there's a danger that he could be stopped en route. Right. Get Aritz Adarith on every penalty from <laughs> yes. now on. Quickly, get it in. Chris Wood scored a 90th-minute penalty in that game, which gave Burnley the 1-0 win. What's remarkable about that? The, the fact that he scored a penalty? 
The, the fact they were awarded, well, were almost awarded oh, too. Yes. The fact that they were awarded a penalty in the first place is 64 Premier League games since the Clarets were last given a spot kick. Obviously, this was in the Cup. But it's just like we were talking about this last week. This this is the third longest run in the Premier League, anyway. Uh, Sixty three games. The longest is belongs to Wimbledon back in the day. They went ninety. I think it was ninety one games. It was ninety something anyway without getting okay. a penalty. Well, that's interesting because you know Dyche will no doubt think that this is some kind of refereeing conspiracy against Burnley. But different teams play in different ways, and you're not going to get penalties if you lob high balls into the penalty box. If you know, if you're Crystal Palace, who get a lot of penalties through Zaha and Townsend their trickery, you will get penalties. So the fact that it's the longest run since Wimbledon, the most notorious one uh, route one side of the Premier League era, I think uh, is quite telling. Absolutely. Two games that will need replays. Stokes clash with Shrewsbury after Peter Crouch scored an equaliser and the entire nation went, what? I thought he'd retired and started a successful podcast instead. No, he's still playing. He's uh, He was also the author of one of the top 10 selling hardback books last year alongside Michelle Obama and Stephen Hawking. So he's in fine company there. Excellent. Excellent. He's also got a, 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 another child on the way, Jack. You Great. Know? Yeah. <laughs> I like that. That's number four. Our paternal correspondence. Yeah. Yeah. He still lives in Surrey despite uh, training at Stoke, Peter Crouch. Which How I think long has he been at Stoke? Is he, does he go a to training? A long time. Six, seven years? Yeah. yeah. Takes yeah. a lot to get someone out of Surrey, doesn't it, Michael? Mm. Okay. Another game that that require replay is uh, Derby Southampton. Oh Frank- yeah, I enjoyed the highlights of this game actually. Good. Two fantastic moments from Tom Lawrence. The assist for the first for the volleyed finish. Don't think I've really seen an assist like it. It was a kind of outside of the boot scoop to an on-rushing player that I thought was really good. And the second goal, we cut inside and kind of swerved it away from the goalkeeper into the far corner. Must admit, he's kind of gone off my radar. Uh, Tom Lawrence famously uh, made his debut in Ryan Giggs's first game as caretaker Manchester United manager, and then Giggs subbed himself on for Tom Lawrence. Great performance um, from Derby, though, coming from behind. So I think they, they should have won it at the end as well. Yeah, it would have been a good result for them. But, uh, yeah, it was good highlights of that game. Excellent. Arsenal did beat Blackpool 3-0. You saw the whole of this, Michael. Joe Willock... Uh, coming in and making a bit of a name for himself. Yeah, I thought Blackpool gave it a decent go, but Arsenal just had had too much, really. Um, and it was nice for Willock because he's um, he's a promising player. I'm not sure he's one that's been massively hyped as a a real potential first team regular in the future. But for him to get two goals is a big achievement. His uh, his brother Chris is uh, at Benfica, oh. moved there last year. I think he's mainly playing for their B team at the moment, but. Uh, yeah, he's, they've also got another brother who is on the books at Manchester United. I think he's out on loan somewhere in Scotland. But uh, yeah, three brothers there. Indeed. Koscielny mm. uh, injured himself in the warm-up, Michael. Is that serious? I'm not sure it's serious, but it is the kind of injury you might get, you know, having been out for a long time yeah. with an Achilles problem. He's played. He's probably played more than Emery would have wanted him to play because of other injuries. So maybe not a huge surprise. Right. Still bad news for the Gunners. Man United... Got their fifth straight win under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, beating Reading 2-0 in a, a game, Jack, that you did not enjoy particularly. Did you enjoy Phil, Phil Jones getting red-faced for a different reason for once? I don't think that I friction saw burn that. Oh, he yes. he along the grass on his head. Yes, classic bit of Phil Jones <laughs> uh, tomfoolery there. It was, it was a pretty <laughs> underwhelming game, I thought. Reading gave it a good go in the in the classic cup underdog fashion but right. didn't really have much okay and united i mean 
Solskjaer made a lot of changes and that was evident in the way they played. I thought the midfield offered very little. Uh, Scott McTominay, I just don't know if he's very good or not. He's mm. just a, a tall person. Okay. Uh, and Fred, Fred actually, on a couple of occasions, when he has not much time, when he acts quickly, I think he's very good. His distribution of both feet is fairly solid. But the moment when he has time to look up and think about things, it's an old cliche, isn't it, that players come from foreign leagues to the Premier League and are shocked by the speed of the game, how little time they have on the ball. But with him, it's actually really evident often he thinks he has three or four seconds he's actually got one second and the number of times that he's forced into you know a, a scrambling pass or just dispossessed even against a second flight team I thought was was quite worrying okay uh, United are heading off to Dubai for warm weather training ahead of their huge match with Spurs next Sunday and also just a quick mention for West Ham beating Birmingham 2-0 Arnautovic scoring again, then getting into a strut with Pellegrini when he was taken off. Andy Carroll came on and scored to make it 2-0, but had a not particularly impressive performance. Is that right? Nasri, I read, also got an hour. Yeah, uh, the the thing I was going to mention from, from that game, which links to another, is that the 54,000 tickets sold mm. at West Ham. Uh, and uh, Goodison Park was a sellout for Everton-Lincoln as well. So although the... FA Cup is much maligned in terms of, perhaps in terms of bigger clubs' treatment of the early rounds. Actually, that that strike that surprised me hugely, particularly the Goodison sellout. Mm. I mean, I'm sure ticket prices were reduced to reflect the appetite for the game, but that doesn't matter if you're, you know, if you're a parent that can take a couple of kids along to see their first game, then that's huge. So yeah, good on both clubs. Brilliant. Any other draw? Uh, sorry, any other conclusions you'd like to make about the the third round ahead of the final match this evening? Uh, I enjoyed Gilliam's win uh, over Cardiff, uh, particularly because whenever Gilliam do something uh, impressive, my Gilliam supporting friend mentions the fact he once called them Gillingham. That's right. There is a Gillingham. Yeah, there is. But this was about 11 years ago and he's still obsessed with it. There was also a great uh, quote from uh, Neil Warnock, who obviously comes up with fantastic excuses every time his side lose. Uh, this time around, did he his excuse? It was um, a couple of his players... The grass was too long, was it? No, no, he's, he's not that foolish. Um, but a couple of his players went down injured and he complained that the stretcher uh, took too long to come on and treat them. And mm. he said um, about one of the players, if he'd had a heart attack, he'd be dead by now. I think they've got a lot to learn. <laughs> well, yeah, but do you know? <laughs> um, Jack, any final thoughts on the third round? Um, we still, of course, got Chelsea Forest, which we're saving up yes, the street for later. Yes, we can come to that. I'm just looking through my notes. Mm. Mm. What are your notes? We, I think we've done... He's got, he's got great notes on every game. Really? It's a sort of... Mm. Looks like a BBC Five Live commentator might have for... Well, the third round isn't my natural habitat, I will say. Why is that? Just because there are so many games yeah. and I, 32. I... I follow the Football League to some extent, but not in a great deal of detail. Mm. And occasionally, I admit, some of the mawkishness of the magic of the FA Cup narratives right. uh, leaves me a bit cold. I see. Oh, Dave Smith's a butcher. Will he cut down uh, Ipswich Surely this weekend? Surely, surgeon for that. <laughs> I got a couple of interesting stats, I think. Okay. Of Jack, can I just ask, has this morning been useful to you? <laughs> yeah, it's learnt a lot. <laughs> uh, yes, it has. Okay. Michael. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I also enjoyed Barnett's win over Sheffield United mm-hmm. for two reasons. One, because it's a non-league side through to the fourth round. I don't think we had any non-league sides in the third round last year, which was very unusual, so that's nice. And in, 
in terms of the uh, the odds, it was the biggest FA Cup shock since 2010, which was when Leeds overcame Manchester United. Um, so even though it's not one of the you know the big boys, the Premier League sides going out, it was you know very improbable and a very impressive victory for them. Excellent. Um, and just one more thing, if I may, just on the subject of changes, mm. um, you know there were some sides that made nine, ten, eleven changes. There are only three sides in the competition who named an unchanged side. Ooh. One of them was Oldham. Right. Shock. One of them was Barnet. Yep. Shock. And the other was Doncaster, who won away at Preston, who are in the league above them. So it does go to show that if you, you know, play your first 11, good things can happen. You got to know when to Oldham and, and know when to fold them. <laughs> yes, very nice. Uh, I was just going to make a, a quick point on Leeds United, who lost uh, QPR, their third defeat in a row. And mm. when Martelli Bells came in and we. He's achieved above expectation this season, I think that's fair to say, but the doubts would always remain how the squad, a a small squad, could cope without investment with this kind of high intensity with and without the ball football. And, yeah, they're starting to concede. They have got a bit of an injury crisis at the back, but they are starting to concede a lot of goals. And, yeah, as I say, they've lost three in a row. And Bielsa's kind of saying, it's fine, don't worry about it. We deserve to win the games we lost. But they came from behind, even before that, they had to come from behind to beat Villa and... Um, and Blackburn in in ways that you cannot keep doing. It started. So it's think. just. I'm not saying they're imploding, but it's certainly starting to turn a little bit. I think. Mm. I'd also right. like to give a high five to Rafael Benitez. Okay. Visibly crestfallen that Newcastle scored <laughs> late equaliser <laughs> against Blackburn. Of but course, it, that goes to replay as well. Yes. I mean, it's one thing to be annoyed about having to play cup games, but I think most managers would at least put a brave face on it and say oh you know well done lads couldn't even muster five percent happiness it was uh, excellent by the way what a nonsense it is that they've scrapped replays for the fifth round at this stage in the competition i know Mm. they were going to bring it in for next year yeah but how can you do that based upon the fact that there's a few teams still in europe i thought that was an incredible reason to completely change the rules of a competition to the detriment of the lower league teams well i I think that's the thing and once again it's the hypocrisy of banging on Jack about the magic and inviting everyone to respect the tradition of the FA Cup and not mug off the competition in the words of one slogan while you dick around with it. Oops, just gone all Martin Tyler there for a second. Sorry. Anyway, with that, let's leave the FA Cup for the moment and talk about some other things after this. People of the Totally Football Shows, you know what you could be listening to right here? You, your company, your product out here in front of hundreds and thousands of listeners who are mostly men between the ages of 25 and 44. As well as the twice-weekly Totally Football Show, we've got a network of other football shows. There's Galazzo for the discerning cosmopolitan listener. There's the Totally Football League show for the loyal hardy listener. And there's the Totally Scottish Football Show for your listener who likes those big square sausages. And we've got even more podcasts on the way in 2019. Some of them not even based around football or indeed sport. To discuss advertising on one of the Totally Football shows or across the Muddy Knees Media Network, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. We reach well over a million pairs of ears each week and now you can too. Email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Transfers. Jack, you excited about transfers? Broadly, no. Oh, really? <laughs> Don't you like it when the, you know, the deck gets shuffled? Uh... Well, having worked for a tabloid newspaper for three years, did you transfer news? It's uh, yeah, I'm better off out. But let's do I mean, things that have actually happened, for example, Nathaniel Klein Mm. snubbing Cardiff to join Bournemouth. 
obviously Mike has already paid tribute to Neil Warnock's moaning, but there was an excellent moan after the game where he accused Liverpool and Klein himself of being classless at not letting him know. And then Klein then almost immediately comes out and explains why he moved and said, oh, it's all about the manager. I just wanted to play for Eddie Howe, <laughs> which is wonderful work from Klein. <laughs> Um, Perhaps inadvertent, but majestic all the same. Warnock's point was that he had previously been promised, that was his impression at least, by Liverpool that Klein would be joining joining the Bluebirds on loan. Uh, Bournemouth, of course beaten again this weekend, also signed Dominic Solanke for £19 million, which is, is it a lot of money or a reasonable amount? Jack, in tabloid terms... Is this a shocker or a sweet deal for Bournemouth? <laughs> I think you can see it either way. I think it's funny how that kind of fee, 17, 18, 19 million pounds, has become the new, you know, five million back in the day. And a player like Solanke, I think Liverpool probably bought him without perhaps even thinking that he would become a starting player. Mm. And knowing that the amount of money they had to pay for him would probably. Uh, they would get that back no matter what happened. So the fact that not much has happened in the intervening time. So he's had 21 appearances and scored one goal. Does anybody actually know if he's any good? I presumably Bournemouth think he is. I think he's got talent. I mean, I'd, I'd be reluctant if I was Bournemouth to pay such a large amount of money for a player who isn't used to regular football. In a in a way, I think it's a little bit similar to when uh, Chelsea brought Morata, who's mm. obviously a higher class of player, or they signed a higher class of player. But this was a guy who'd been used to being a super sub for the last four or five years. And it's turned out that actually after about six months of regular football, he looked absolutely knackered. So I think he's, I think he's talented. Um, they'll probably rotate him because they've got some other good forwards he won't be playing every week. Right. But um, yeah, interesting. Th- this isn't goes. per se an indication that Callum Wilson's definitely on his way. Well, I, I dare say it's almost... Um, preemptive uh, replacement you know which is supposedly how the the good selling clubs do things these days oh, right, okay. they get the players in and then if someone leaves you've already got someone who's known the club for five or six months um but i'm not sure wilson will be leaving this january okay tammy abraham is apparently back on uh, with his move on loan to wolves oh, villa his current club were knocked out by Tammy's previous side, Swansea 3-0 in the FA Cup. You're right, Jack, there's a lot of games, aren't there? <laughs> a lot of Villa, games. Villa are in some trouble at the moment. They've signed, or they will sign over the next couple of days, uh, Courtney Hawes on loan, um, who was interesting West Brom as well, from Wolves. Um, but they've conceded something like 17 goals in six games, Villa. They conceded five to Forest, and they drew five all at home. Two goals at least in the last six games. They've got a real issue now. Oh, good in. Is going to be joining Inter on a free at the end of the season. He's 32, you know. He looks twice that. Yeah, he seems like a mid-30s player to me. Mm, well, um, you know, he's not far off it. That is a fair point, yeah. Um, but, but they're going to have an exciting back line. They're, they're, I mean, for as long as he's fit, they've got some excellent players, so Drive, Salico, and... Uh, is is yeah. Miranda still there at Inter? Yes, for the moment, although I'm okay. not sure how long he's he, he, he'll be staying. Um, Godin's uh, current side, I'd have to go Madrid... Drew 1-1 with Sevilla this weekend because the Liga are back. Uh, they, of course, the team's second and third behind Barcelona. But the big news there was the big two, if we can use that expression. Barcelona beating Getafe and the laws of physics with that messy pass, uh, which ultimately came to nothing. But he, he also scored and a victory for them to climb five points clear of Atletico Madrid, who, as I say, 
uh, dropped two points with Sevilla. Real Madrid, meanwhile, lost at home to Real Sociedad. They did. Very soundly beaten as well. Sociedad could have scored a third late on. Uh, what I liked about this one was it's the first time Real Sociedad have won at the Bernabeu since 2004. Wow. And who was playing for Real Madrid that day? Uh, was it Santiago, Santiago Solari? That's, that's good, isn't it? We're halfway through the Liga season now. Real Madrid are outside the Champions League places. I mean, I know it's unlikely, but imagine if they were to miss out on the Champions League. It does mm. slightly suggest that Jose Mourinho's luck might well be in. Uh, they were the first root sort of murmurs of, well, not murmurs, but calls of discontent from the crowd against Florentino Perez yesterday. Um, and I think Solari's time is probably coming to an end. He's kind of had that little boost and he's probably served his purpose. So, incredibly, Mourinho could well be about to fail upwards once again. Beautifully put. Do you think that would happen before the end of the season even? Well, if they're outside the Champions League spots, then their summer business is going to be affected if they're not in right. that competition. So I would think they would do anything to Because do he it. did such a great job of taking <laughs> Man United into the Champions indeed, League position. Indeed. Mm. Um, there wow. are reasons with Sergio Ramos possibly leaving this summer. There are reasons to think that he might do okay there, but it does seem incredibly unimaginative. Right, okay. Uh, excellent. We'll keep across that. In the meantime, let's have a chat about some exciting fixtures coming up midweek. It's the League Cup semi-finals. So that result was their eighth nil-nil in a row, and we've even had reports of fans falling asleep in their seats. Stuart is at the game, joins us now on the line. Stuart? Stuart? Sounds like Stuart needed Paddy Power, because with our new Same Game Multi, you can combine multiple bets from the same game, so everything is exciting. Plus, you'll get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your fourfold Same Game Multi lets you down. Paddy Power, enough of the nonsense. Applies to pre-match fourfold plus Same Game Multi bets. First qualifying bet only max free bet £10 per customer per day. Exclude shop bets. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. Begumbelow.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. It's the League Cup semi-finals this midweek. Wednesday season on Fancied Visitor turning up at the Etihad. And no, I'm not referring to you, Daniel, although you will be there. But Burton Albion. Yeah, I suspect City, one of the standout things this weekend, I thought, was the the strength of the team that that Pep Guardiola picked. He did have a couple of youngsters in there, but Raheem Sterling started, Riyad Mahrez, Gabriel Jesus, um, Ilkay Gundogan. And I think he'll probably... Yeah, Kevin De Bruyne, although... Probably more because he's coming, kind of get fitness than mm. necessarily would have played. But I think he'll probably do the same. The last thing he want to do is go to um, to Burton with the tie still in the balance. So I think he'll he'll probably switch maybe Sterling for Sané and um, maybe Mares for um, Bernardo and just trying to change two or three key players. But basically pick the same team and look to get it done at home. And yeah, as you say, they scored seven against Rotherham without really even trying. Mm. What made you pick that game to attend? Is there a story that you think might? I. I'm sent. second in command at the outlet that I'm working for. Oh, and I see. Someone else chose Tottenham Chelsea. Did they? Know? Did they? Know? <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, there's much to uh, there's much that is alluring about the the clash out at Wembley. Spurs coming off that seven nil win at Tranmere. Chelsea, meanwhile, beating Forest. The two teams met six weeks ago in the league at Wembley, and it was a resounding win for Tottenham, three one. Do you remember that, Michael? I do. Any lessons we can draw from that to kind of guide us in, in, in this upcoming clash on Tuesday? Well, Tottenham were very good. That was a very high-tempo, high-intensity performance. Whether they can replicate that after the Christmas schedule, uh, I'm you know doubtful about that. But it should be a good game. I mean, 
proper fierce rivals these you know i think maybe people don't always appreciate the fact that while it's not the the geographically closest two teams in in london it is a it is a proper rivalry there's been good some good um cup ties between them over the years i remember a league cup semi-final about 2001 maybe where um uh, Spurs won 5-1 against Chelsea mm. and that was particularly notable for Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank uh, getting sent off for slapping someone even though it wasn't actually him it was Mario Melchior oh, who right. kind of went in behind him and you know did a little bit of a trick like that um, so yeah I'm looking forward to this game I think the I quite like the League Cup semi-finals just because it's two-legged and, and it brings something different to the you know it, it's a different feel to the FA Cup so people are very down on having two competitions two cup competitions in England but mm. I think it's uh, really enjoyable Youngman's son still available. This is kind of penultimate appearance, penultimate appearance potentially before he heads off to the Asian Cup. He's got seven goals and five assists in his last six games. It's also even more impressive if you take out the games that he hasn't started. If it's just starts, I think it's 12 and 13. Wow. And uh, also in a rich vein of form is Fernando Rolente, who got a hat trick against the Mighty Tranmere Rovers. So he'll be pushing for inclusion in this League Cup starting eleven, I think that might be a valedictory. Oh, trip. really? Well, I think there's talk of him returning to Athletic Club in Spain. Oh, right. Okay. Meanwhile, it it, it almost certainly was a valedictory uh, appearance for Cesc Fabregas in Chelsea's win at the weekend, two nil over Forest. Uh, a game that was marked by a brace for Morata, and yet a lot of people weren't particularly impressed with his performance. Well, it, it wasn't. It was. It was almost that he he wasn't impressed by his own goals. Normally, at least you'd think in the form he's been in, that a couple of goals would be a cause of celebration. But he just he continues to look sulky, and I'm pr- certain, pretty certain that he went straight down the tunnel when he was substituted as well. Um, he just looks broken, basically. I mean, when he, when he came to England, there was talk of um, he's incredibly superstitious and he's incredibly. A kind of a constantly worried man. He's not particularly confident, and it looks like this 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 spell of form has just kind of broken him. I think he probably needs a move back to Italy or um, Spain. But as Michael said, he he's never been a leading man, and for the price that Chelsea paid and will want to receive for him, he's going to have to be that leading guy because you know he's going to cost at least thirty million if someone wants him on a permanent deal. Mm. Callum Hudson Adoy. Also priced currently at thirty million pounds. If he played for Borussia Dortmund, how much would Chelsea pay for him? Do you think? <laughs> yeah, it is a, it's a funny situation, isn't it? Really, with the the pews that coming in, and you know, almost German sides taking raw products and just seeing the potential in them that, that Man City and, and Chelsea don't. Right. Um, it's a bit of a sad situation, but it was good to see him getting a run out. And I mean, Chelsea got injury problems um, up front at the moment, or in wide positions, I should say. Um, and up front, which means Hazard might be used there. So I wouldn't be surprised if Hudson Odoi started uh, against Tottenham, which would be nice. Raphael Honigstein making the point that Chelsea are not forcing uh, Hudson Odoi out. Are they? He says they'd love to keep him. Bayern though have made him a huge offer, and he's out of contract soon, and thus can basically do whatever he wants. When's his contract up, Daniel? Summer twenty twenty. Right, which already gives him a mm. significant bargaining leverage. Yes, and seriously. Good on him because I think we underestimate with someone like Jaden Sancho at the age of 17, 18, moving abroad is not a typically British thing to do to have that you know, courage to go abroad. To do that at 18 when Sancho, for example, had an offer of 30,000 a week from Manchester City to stay. So it was not as if he was twiddling his thumbs with nothing else to do. Good on him. And if, if Hudson Odoi does the same, good on him. It will be a lot harder to break in at Bayern than it will at Dortmund, though. Mm. 
Speaking of young players, young midfield stars going to a foreign league, making a name for themselves, Cesc Fabregas, his journey in a foreign land coming to a close, leaving the field with a tear in his eye. Uh, and I think misty-eyed with the thousands at, at Stamford Bridge to see him go as well. How important has he been? 15 years, Michael, in the Premier League. How important has he been? Yeah, I mean, a really good player for two different clubs. I think we sometimes forget how quickly he had an impact when breaking into the first team. He was so good at such a young age that it basically convinced Wenger to sell Patrick Vieira, who'd mm. been, you know, one of the fun- one of the best players in English football. Do you remember when Vieira came back with, with Juventus and it was kind of like master and apprentice and Fabregas just destroyed him? He was fantastic, yeah. Um, I mean, it's been a funny career. He was outstanding at Arsenal but didn't really win anything. His spell with Barcelona was strange because it was always, you know, cast as a big homecoming, but it didn't work out that well in the end. And he kind of came back to England slightly with his tail between his legs. I mean, he was up for going back to Arsenal. Wenger decided he didn't want him back at that stage. So went to Chelsea. And I quite liked him under Conte because he had this weird thing where Conte didn't, I mean, he wasn't convinced by Fabregas' positional discipline, I think for good reasons. But Fabregas came on as a sub and he just kept creating so many goals that he basically made himself undroppable. And he's been a great player to watch. Um, I think his contribution to Spain's treble success is often overlooked. He wasn't part of the core group with Xavi and Iniesta, but forced his way into the side for two of the finals in uh, 2008 and 2012 and also Mm. set up the winning goal in the World Cup final of 2010. It's a strange move, I think. You know, I know Henri's at Monaco, but I wouldn't be too sure that Henri will be there come the summer or into next season. Monaco are second bottom in the league. They've improved a little bit, but there's a good chance that next year he'll be playing in the second division in France under a manager he might not have heard of. So for a top player, I think it's very odd. Monaco also potentially going to be changing ownership. Is that right? There's been suggestions that Prince Albert might be coming back in. That's what was discussed on a podcast I was listening to. Prince Albert coming back in enough to make your eyes water. (laughs) That and other lines were explored at the time. Sorry, Jack. That's a good point Michael makes about the assists under Conte at Chelsea. He had that, obviously, that understanding with Diego Costa. For the first half of the season, yeah. Obviously, that was in Mourinho's uh, last season as well, I think. And that, you wonder whether those two had some kind of Faustian pact going and that they've, neither of them has really been the same since. Fabregas needed Costa making those runs on the last shoulder. Morata doesn't really do that in the same way. Costa, I think, hasn't done as well without someone looking for that ball all the time. And yeah, both of them have faded at a similar time. It's quite funny. Cesc Fabregas scored more than 50 goals, provided more than 100 assists, and repeats her at Fergie. <laughs> so uh, a colourful career in the English game. And uh, best of luck in Monaco. Daniel, of Forest, meanwhile, beaten 2 0 here. Mm-hmm. What happened there? Uh, Chelsea are better than us, right? Considerably better than us. They're a, a Premier League team, and we are a bit of a mess. Um, okay, we're yeah. seventh at the moment. The yeah, the, at some point, I talk Ranku is going to um, get the chop. Um, Forrest is basically prolonging his own stay of execution by winning unexpected games, beat Leeds at home, for example. So, but at some point, he will go. And from what I hear, the club would like to talk to Slavisa Jukanovic. Hmm. Um, which makes some sense, um, although it would mean that 2019 joined every other year back to 2010 as years where Forrest have sacked a manager. So, I mean, that kind of short-termism is just kind of nonsense, really. But, yeah. I see. Well, uh, that's some of the football on the way. Very shortly, we'll hear about some 
matches that are taking place a long, long way away at the Asian Cup. Also, Michael's going to do us a book recommendation. First, though, let's get the odds on things from producer Ben and Paddy Power. Thank you, Jimbo. It's time to talk to Lee Price from Paddy Power. Lee, how are you? How's the FA Cup for you? I'm very well, probably better than the FA Cup was for me, but uh, how are you? Yes, I'm treble good, thank you. Very, very good indeed. Uh, Let's talk about the FA Cup briefly. Unfortunately, we can't talk about what's going on in the fourth round just yet because uh, the draw hasn't been made as we talk here. But tell us anyway, the overall favourites for the Cup. Yeah, obviously subject to massive change if two of the big boys draw each other. Um, Pretty much as you'd expect, Man City the clear favourite, 72 Chelsea and Tottenham United next in the betting. Liverpool fourth in the betting because they haven't played yet. Weirdly ahead of Arsenal, though. It's a bit of a snub to the Gunners. Not sure what we mean there. They're 9-1 to one to win the Cup again. Well, there's more Cup action this week, of course. Let's talk about Spurs and Chelsea in the Carabao Cup. What's going to happen there? Well, Tottenham have liked Tuesdays recently. They smashed Cardiff last Tuesday. And before that, there was the Barcelona miracle. And we think they might like this Tuesday too. They're favourites to beat Chelsea at evens. Chelsea are 5-2. to two. And you fancy a red card, this is a famously naughty fixture. That's just three to one here, around half the odds you'd normally get. Lovely. And uh, Burton Albion are at Man City in the other semi-final. They're probably not going to win it, but can they score? Well, they can, actually. The odds are seven to four that they score at least one goal, which isn't too bad. But the equivalent market for City is a massive one to 100 to score one goal. And their odds on to score at least three goals in the first leg and even money to score four or more. If you fancy repeat the 7-0 scoreline they dished out on Rotherham, that's 25-1, to 1, almost twice as likely as Burton winning the first leg. Sorry, Burton fans. You can find out those odds and more at paddypower.com. All prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's 18 plus only. Begambleaware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. Daniel, you're back on Thursday. I am, yes. All right, you'll be joined by, it says here, Tom Williams and James Horncastle, assuming he can still walk after all his happy... What was it? His me time this weekend. God. <laughs> the, the mind boggles, James. Yeah. <laughs> can I give a quick shout-out to India and their Asian Cup achievements before we go? Oh, the Asian Cup? Yeah. OK, what's happened? Uh, well, India uh, beat Thailand 4-1, which was their first win in the Asian Cup since 1964. And for those wow. of you who know your Asian Cup history, the 1964 tournament didn't really make sense because about 13 of the 16 sides withdrew. Oh. Um, so it wasn't much of a tournament. But um, kind of British interest in this because their manager, Stephen Constantine, is a, a Londoner. Mm-hmm. He's had an incredible globe-trotting career. Cabbies, all that. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, OK. Um, sorry, just going to say, uh, yeah, the manager, Stephen Constantine, is a Londoner. And yep. uh, whilst uh, we're chatting about this, I very much recommend his book, which came out last year. It's the best football book I've read in the past couple of years. It's called From Delhi to the Den, because oh. uh, he was briefly at Millwall. And he's had this incredible globetrotting career that has taken in two spells at India. He's been in charge of Sudan, Malawi, Rwanda. And there's some incredible tales in it. Just the kind of logistics of playing an away qualifier in North Korea and still like this i think absolutely fantastic so worth keeping an eye on in the asian cup excellent all right so that's from delhi to the den yes excellent what else has happened in the asian cup then well the interesting thing about that game uh it was india for thailand one Hmm. was thailand sacked their manager after that game manager was milovan rajavak who you may or may not remember from taking charge of ghana uh, on their run to the court finals in uh, 2010 Um, but that's been i would say the biggest story so far okay it's in the group stages at the moment we're still halfway through the first round but it's um 
It's an interesting tournament. I mean, the managerial lineup is quite incredible. I don't know if you've covered this already. No, no. But you've got the likes of Alberto Zaccaroni, oh, who yeah. you'll remember very fondly. Is he Ma- with Japan still? Uh, no, he's now with the UAE. I see. Uh, interesting move. Uh, Marcelo Lippi is in charge of China. China right? uh, Palo Bento, South Korea. Carlos Quiros is still in charge of Iran. Sven, of course, is still there with the, uh, the Philippines. He's only just joined them. He's sorry, he's only just joined them. But in Sven yeah. years, that's quite a long time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Hector Cooper is in charge of uh, Uzbekistan. So the managerial lineup is maybe more exciting than the player lineup. Brilliant. The player line, it's funny, isn't it? Because there's players like Hyung Min Sun who have basically been given leave of absence for the first two group games because I think they play. Kyrgyzstan and the Philippines. Okay. Uh, so they kind of there's a, there's a few players who are not actually going until the second almost the second fortnight of the tournament basically. Um, mm. But yeah, it's yeah it is a much improved tournament. It is a really really good watch. Not just saying that. It's I good. mean, it's now gone up to 24 teams, which I always think is a little bit. It ruins the group stage structure slightly. But once you get into the quarterfinals, the semi-finals, I mean, Japan, Australia, Korea over the last 10 years have been seriously good teams. All right, Australia. Also lost to Jordan on the opening day. The holders, Australia. Daniel, perhaps you'll do us a proper Asian Cup review roundup for Thursday. I'm making my homework. Fantastic. Well, I'm sure you'll bring that and so much more uh, to Thursday's appointment with Tom Williams and James Horncastle. Uh, for now, that's uh, it for this Totally Football Show. So many thanks, Daniel, Jack, and Michael, and you, listener. Do join us again on Thursday. I hope you have a great time in the meanwhile. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com and don't forget to check out our other football podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. Supporting your team can be a beautiful thing, but then come the injuries, the goal droughts and the downright disastrous defeats. That's a little bit like life, really. And here at the Totally Football Show, we believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the good days and the bad. And that's why we're continuing to work with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. On average, 12 men take their own life every day in the UK. So that's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. And part of the problem is that many of us still feel uncomfortable talking about mental health and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it the most. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.